science. One of the uh, stories in that we looked at last week uh, was that there was a cigar-shaped object that had uh, come into our solar system incredibly fast, something like 50 kilometres a second. Uh, and um, it's not from here. It's not from these parts. <laughs> <laughs> it's come uh, from, uh, from Vega or from the, from the direction of Vega. But come on, who knows where it's coming? Have we got an update on this? Yeah, we do, actually. I'm, I'm slightly disappointed, I have to say, because Vega is, is, is part of Lyra, which is my favourite constellation. Yes. For very many reasons. Yes, and, yes. Um, uh, well, it turns out it might not be from that part of... Uh, our solar system, uh, our solar system, our sky at all, our galaxy. Um, essentially, what not we're from even from our galaxy? No. Well, no, no. From that might not be from that part of our galaxy. Right. So, um, there have been a few papers looking at this. They've been, as in scientific papers, not newspapers. Newspapers wouldn't know how to find this kind of information out. But <laughs> apart from by looking at the new scientific papers, of course. And the scientists have been looking at it and trying to tra- track its trajectory back out into the stars to see where it came from. And essentially what we're finding is that different people are tracking it to different places. And the trajectory doesn't, for some reason, and I haven't quite managed to grasp this, but the the trajectory doesn't seem to say, okay, it's definitely coming from that part of the sky. The story is further complicated by it seeming that it hasn't necessarily come straight from one star. It may have been hopping from one star to another, so one solar system to another. So it may have began life in one star uh, many, many, many light years away, then hit another solar system, got moved by the gravitational pull of that one, set off in another direction, hit another one, and then so on until it sort of plays a sort of uh, dodgems race, really, is it? And then it's yeah, coming yeah. through our solar system at the moment and then off into presumably another one. Yeah. Now, the, the strange thing about that, to, to my mind, is that solar systems aren't that tightly packed, you know? Yeah. It seems... There's a lot of empty space. Yeah, there is a lot yeah. of empty space. But then there's been so many, so many years, so many billions of years yeah. for um, space rocks to be clattering around between yeah. solar systems i suppose eventually we will find one that's a funny shape that appears <laughs> yes. near our uh, near our planet you know, yeah and the people looking into this i mean one of the commentators said well basically we when we find this is the first one we've found that we know has come from outside of our own um uh, solar system yeah um, so um, we need a few more of these before we can sort of get a sense of where they're from. But surely um, they could come from almost anywhere. Yeah, they could. And from different sources. Yes, yeah, absolutely. But there are certain things that you can do to test it. One of the things is, um, which which I didn't know until this story came out, which is great. I like finding things out about space. Yeah. Is that... Um, Asteroids, rocks that come from particular stars or particular uh, star regions and, and the formation of solar systems, particular solar systems, are travelling at a similar speed. So any rocks, for example, from our solar system that were flung out in the formation of our solar system would be travelling at a similar speed because because of the way that the solar, <laughs> the, yeah. Yeah, the solar system is formed. Yeah. So we can actually look at the speed of this um, 
rock. Yeah. It seems like it should have a better name. Asteroid. Yes. I want it to okay. give it its own yes. name, you know. Yeah. Um, Strange Rock. Strange Rock. Yeah. Cigar Rock. Cigar Rock. That sounds like a... Cigar Rock sounds like a genre of music, <laughs> doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's sort of... I don't know what it is. Like Stairway to Heaven, I can imagine. Being a bit cigar Rock. Anyway. Or it's Rock and Roll done by Groucho Marx yeah. or somebody like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah that's cigar, like, yeah. Cigar Rock. Yeah. Um, anyway, so it's... Uh, well, I can't remember what I was saying. Sorry. Now. That's a perfectly acceptable. Something to do with uh, Space Rock coming, coming this way. Oh, yeah. So it's because of the speed. It's coming at a particular speed, uh, which is is matched to some stars in the sky but i don't even know that that's necessarily the case because it will have been speeding up and slowing down as it was going through different pulls of gravity and i would imagine as it was going if it, if it had been indeed ricocheting between solar systems that would have affected its speed along the way i would have thought yeah, of indeed course. surely indeed well look, i tell you what let's have a little bit more music we've got a guest all about volcanoes yeah. Uh, after this piece of music, can I just say, by the way, sorry, yeah. to, that just clearly we don't know. That's what that's the update from that story, isn't it? We don't know where this rock. We don't from. know. We thought we knew, yeah. that, but we don't. That, that puts the lid on it. it. We have absolutely no idea, and that's just great by us. But there's so many stories in the news at the moment, and there's uh, one uh, which is a kind of it's a sad story, and uh, also it's got some good news and some bad news mixed in. There is. Uh, a, a, a researcher and a lecturer, writer, called uh, Rico Muranaka, a lady called uh, Rico Muranaka. Um, she's at uh, Kyoto University School of Medicine in Japan. And uh, she's been writing uh, all about uh, the uh, safety, in her view, uh, of uh, several human uh, uh, papilloma virus vaccines known as HPV and uh, she says they're safe and uh, they're incredibly important things because they save uh, people's lives but she's uh, been criticised uh, because it apparently isn't a popular thing in the academic community in Japan uh, or in popular culture in Japan at the moment to say that uh, HPVs are safe so uh, these um, uh, vaccines have been the subject of uh, quite a lot of controversy. I don't know if either of you guys, Andrew and Hannah, have uh, looked at this story at all. Yeah, I've looked a little bit about it. Um, it's been quite interesting because they did originally, the government was supporting um, free or reduced cost vaccinations for young girls for the HPV uh, vaccine because um, HPV can is linked to cervical cancer, which is why if you get a vaccination, it's a good thing, helps reduce the risk of getting um, the virus that can cause um, cancer. And there, when the, the government was endorsing it, the, the vaccination rate went up to 70%, which is a really good high amount of the population getting their vaccines. But there came um, a kind of, almost like a viral video, but it was, it was through an anti-vaccination campaign group of a girl having a seizure of some kind or um, fitting. And the, uh, the people putting this out were saying that it was linked to having the vaccine. So it's another yeah. kind of anti-vaccine argument beyond the classic one that we see where it's, um, people are making other kind of absurd claims about the kind of conditions vaccines can leave you with afterwards. But it's um, the government has since revoked its endorsement of these vaccines 
Um, it's no longer saying that they're safe. Um, I, I don't think it's saying that they're unsafe, but it's no longer saying that it's safe, no longer encouraging people. So it's dropped down to as low as 1% of the population are now getting the vaccines, mm. which is it's really stark because even in America, where they have like a very active anti-vaccination campaign, yeah. their vaccinations have only dropped to 50%. Yeah. And so it's a really incredibly it's high amount. But um, RICO's been sort of praised over here for the amount of effort that she's been putting into trying to um, re- reignite the discussion about whether or not it is safe because she's saying that all the literature is, like proper literature is saying that it is safe and the vaccinations yeah. are safe for people to use. Um, and the she's been given this award for um, for promoting science and evidence, uh, and evidence uh, on a matter of public interest despite facing difficulty and hostility in doing so. So she has encountered a lot of hostility for just trying to have um, sort of a factual discussion. She even saw um, there was one university that was claiming that there was a link between these vaccinations and brain damage and she called them out on it and so they're suing her mm. even though they then put up a, a notice to say like actually no we didn't find a link but then they're, fa- they're suing her for defamation regardless of whether what, the fact that actually they admitted they were uh, yeah. like, lying oh yeah that's quite astonishing isn't it I mean and that, ca- and that case is still going on yeah it's so still ongoing she's and she's talking about how to deal with that dragged through the courts yeah, yeah. it's a funny old thing vaccination isn't it because there'll be people listening to this show who are you know wonderful people who have believed that vaccines are bad and that they're, mm-hmm. because they'll have followed the stories and then maybe not followed on the stories not gone into the evidence themselves and yeah and kind of ended up in a firm point of view that vaccinations are, are, are a bad thing whereas the scientific evidence which is pretty much the way I would mm. argue that we should look at the world yeah. is to look at the scientific evidence is that the vaccination, the risk of taking a vaccination is always on the side of taking the vaccination for the vaccinations which are recommended, yes. you see what I mean because the, 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 the balance of risk and, and it's a, you know, balance of risk is something which as people we don't do very well Yes. Taking it back to to volcanoes and, and, and earthquakes, the thing that people do when there's an earthquake is get in their car and drive, whereas you're statistically much more likely to be killed by a car crash than you are by a secondary hit of, a vo- of, an, of an earthquake. Mm. Mm. But it's just kind of the, the human reaction to threat yeah. particularly makes it very difficult for us to be rational about these things and th- that the way that that university is behaving is, is completely irrational yeah and it's a very emotive subject i mean i know there'll be people listening to this radio now getting cross with us because we're saying that vaccinations are a good thing mm. but we're only saying it because that's what the evidence says that's yeah, what yeah. The, the, the evidence firmly supports that they are good what, and what herd immunity is really important mm. d- d- do either of you, because I, I, I don't know this at all, this is a genuine question from me, uh, I have no idea why this idea has become popular, that vaccines are dangerous. I, yeah. I, do, I do know, of course, that uh, there, there was this famous case where a, uh, a researcher fabricated some evidence and said yeah. that there was a link between uh, vaccination and autism. And, uh, of course, he's been uh, completely discredited, although people still seem to think that mm. uh, uh, don't realise that he was discredited. Yeah. Um, but but what on earth is the impetus? What, where does that come from where people are saying, you know, we shouldn't uh, we shouldn't have vaccines. These are, these, this is dangerous. It's 
it's it's quite a complex thing. It's very emotional, like you said, Andrew. Um, and I think that your your point about like risk perception is key. One of the things that people react most strongly to when they're thinking about risk is whether or not it's um, going to affect somebody that doesn't have a choice in it, or if like and particularly if that person is a child. So if somebody's making a decision about whether or not to vaccinate a child and they think that there might be a risk to do with it, they're much less likely to take that risk for a child than they would for themselves. Yeah. Um, because as a, as a species, we're just very protective of our children. Mm-hmm. That's just... And um, it's it's grown from, like you said, Malcolm, just one person saying that one kind of vaccination would cause... Um, autism, and that person has been struck off. They've been completely discredited, and their their findings were found to be fabricated. Um, that has grown uh, disproportionately to become about um, all vaccinations. Now people yeah. are saying that all vaccinations have the same effect, but actually that's um, incorrect. Yeah. That's not factually. Yeah. Um, it's not based on any fact yeah. that vaccinations have any kind of. Um, mm. This, the negative effect that people are scared of. Uh, of course, it's easy, isn't it, to to connect, uh, to try and connect two things mm-hmm. which aren't aren't really connected. Mm-hmm. So you might say, well, you know, this morning I um, I put on my red socks and my team won the yeah, yeah. football match. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that never works. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of so, the so you know, it, human uh, the human mind being the way it is, we might connect the two and say, oh, and especially if by chance it happens twice in a mm. row, you go, well, I can't possibly yeah. not wear my red socks on, on a match day. Yeah. Mm. And um, it's that kind of thinking which uh, sometimes yeah, causes. Yeah, we absolutely love patterns and routine. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we love it. So when yeah. we when we make a link between two things that are unrelated, we're more likely to just continue seeing that thing that reinforces the idea of a pattern or a link that we've already already formed in our mind it's a confirmation bias yeah and what then makes it difficult to have the anti uh, the, the vaccination discussion with someone is that um if you're very strongly set in a belief um if somebody comes to you with um evidence that counters the belief that you already hold you're you'll have a very strong reaction to reject that information regardless yeah. of how well founded it is and any un, like loose sort of unclarified information that could support what you already think you will it'll be held on to much more tightly um and it, so the 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 credibility of the evidence that you're getting doesn't mm. matter yeah. only what matters is what's supporting mm, yeah. your belief already because mm. i do think it's it, like ev- almost to a person on either side of any argument mm. people are motivated by looking after people mm-hmm. and the people who are against vaccinations they're against them because they believe that they're doing something wrong yeah exactly they've kind of seen the evidence that they've wanted to see as you say mm-hmm. and and i think it's actually there's there's that side of it and there's also an awful lot of mis- misinformation out there mm. which is put out there um i don't know why how or why it's put out there but there's there's a lot of misinformation that's put out there which people then do do follow and as you say won't go go back on but it, it, it always comes back to me to and i know this is it's this knowledge deficit argument that never works that when people do understand more about science it doesn't seem to follow that they will follow the evidence mm. if you see what i mean yes yeah it's not uh, always true but then as science communicators that's what we're trying to do isn't it we're trying to get people to understand yes. how to read evidence better how to yes. understand how scientific trials work and how yeah how medicine works mm. and how these how difficult it is uh, to get these things out. and a lot of things that are true are counterintuitive yeah 
so it, it doesn't sort of work. Yeah. Um, and and um, all, all, so, you know, it doesn't work in terms of common sense, as well, well I mean, what we would call common sense. So that's hard to yeah. uh, take. And we do, as human beings, have, have a propensity to make emotional judgments about, about yeah, things yeah. and then yeah. really cling to them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's another thing at the moment, which is, you know, I don't know if you saw Elon Musk tweeting the other day, why is there no... Um, flat Mars Society. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I love that. Yeah, and then the Flat Earth Society replied, "Well, Mars has been proven to be round, unlike Earth." And it's like, well, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. I mean, how, I, 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 that's another thing. How can, I, a lot of people say to me that the Flat Earth Society are a joke? They're set up by people as a kind of thought experiment. Yes. Mm-hmm. To to explore uh, the idea of following the evidence. Mm-hmm. Yes. But it seems to me that there's quite a lot of people who do believe that the Earth is flat. Yeah. yeah. Despite the evidence, you know? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I find myself quite a lot, when I'm talking about politics, I won't go there now, but people following things despite the evidence. You know? <laughs> yes. And it's, it's just astonishing that, uh, that evidence is so... Uh, well, let's do one that's not too sensitive. Let's talk about Donald Trump. I mean, Donald Trump is saying, you know that, that tape of him talking about inappropriately touching people he's now saying that that's not his voice on the tape yes in the campaign he would be videoed saying something and then deliberate and then say i didn't say that even though there's a bit yes Mm -hmm. so when there's that clear evidence people will still not go with the evidence and believe what he says of course donald trump is a very special case very special (laughs) (laughs) his uh, connection to true to truth is is (laughs) let's say tentative yes um but let's move on um so uh there's another another sorry no i just wanted to finish off that and just say there was some good news associated with the virus story in that uh uh, rika muranaka uh just because of her sheer persistence and her courage uh, to try and uh, talk about the truth in this situation about about the uh, vaccines has just won the 27 uh, 2017 john maddox prize so uh, hannah um, uh, mentioned that earlier, but it, 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 it's the John Maddox Prize that she's won for promoting science and evidence on a matter of public interest. An important thing to do. Um, there's a story about unnatural DNA. Now, we, if, if you want to... Uh, anybody knows the science fiction film Gattaca, which is all about... Yes, I do. Uh, yeah, all, all, of course. All, all, all about... Um, uh, uh, genetic engineering, you know, that everything about us is known when we're born and uh, uh, people are obsessed with trying to get the very best uh, genetic modification of human beings possible. And uh, it's fatalistic, you know, if you're born too short or too tall or whatever, uh, there's, um, you know, you're, you're kind of excluded from society. It was called Gattaca because G-A-T-A-C-A stands for um, a collection of what, what are known as bases, the things that make up DNA. So guanine, if I can remember this, guanine, adenosine, cytosine, uh, thymine. Have I missed anyone out? It is those, isn't it? Yeah, I yeah. think so. I think we uh, all of them. I think we got yeah. them. You said four. There's four, right? There's four. Yeah. Well, apparently now there's six. What? Big, what? Oh, yes. Because, and they're calling them imaginatively X and Y. So they don't have names proper names it's x and y they're artificial they're made up what what is even more strange is that uh, biologists have persuaded um, a bacteria called um, 
uh, Asherishia, I think it is, coli, to um, uh, manipulate, to, to uh, move these uh, bases around. So basically what they do is they uh, uh, persuade these bugs to um, turn them into what's known as the RNA version and uh, actually you can start building things with these artificial bases. Very, very odd. I don't know if either of you have seen this. I, I haven't seen it. Um, it's I a very peculiar story. Very odd. Um, I'm looking forward to Gattacat Taxi. Gattacat um, but um, it's it's just an experiment. I I guess I mean Hannah and I were talking about this yeah. earlier. We're, we're we're guessing it's the sort of thing they they've done it just because they can. It's hard to see the value of it. Yeah, I think I think what they did was they put it into the 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 DNA of the bacteria, um, and what normally happens is the DNA um, in the nucleus is sort of unravelled a little bit. A section is then um, read and copied like a mirror image into RNA, and then that goes out of the cell, and then a mirror image of that is made to make the same as the original again and that will fold up and um, become it will go through some process and fold up and become like a protein of some kind which will do something in the cell and they've replaced some of the GATC in the DNA of these bacteria with the, um, the X and Y to see if they can be used in the same way as normal um, normal G, uh, molecules in the gene if they'll be mirrored properly into RNA and then be able to be used from the RNA into a functioning um, protein. And it seems to work. It seems like it's been just fine. The bacteria suffered no negative consequences that have been mm. reported so far. They're just, yeah. they're totally cool with these completely alien bases in their genes. It doesn't make a difference to them. The bacteria, probably, the bacteria are probably meeting up and saying, you look really weird. Yeah, you look a bit strange. Yeah, you look a bit strange. <laughs> <laughs> And they go, no, no, you look a bit strange. It's been going on, yeah. Well, um, we're, it'll be interesting to see how this happens. Yeah, the word regulation for, comes to mind. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it develops. Um, another uh, biological story, for we have a, a little blast of uh, music possibly, is that uh, at last... There's apparently been a really good breakthrough with migraine. Anybody who suffers from migraine knows that nothing much works. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, I try this, I try that, but nothing much works, you know. And people have their favourite cocktails. Uh, I speak as somebody who... Uh, actually, I was going to say, I speak as a migraine sufferer, but it turned out I have cluster headaches, which are not the same thing at all. Uh, so um, if, uh, if you... Um, which is more easily treatable... So if um, uh, if you you might get your doctor to check out if you're not getting any help any joy with migraine cures though we're about to talk about this one um, it might be that you have cluster headaches and there are uh, treatments for that uh, anyway um, a drug that can halve the amount of time that people are laid low by migraines migraines has been uh, released it's called Arenumab. Uh, and uh, it's, an anti it's an antibody that blocks a brain pathway involving a molecule called CGRP, which becomes more abundant, apparently, during a migraine attack. 
and in a trial of about a thousand people the drug was found to reduce the number of migraine days a person has by three or four days a month which for some people is pretty significant so at long last that's happened is that good news for either of you, are you migrainey people? Uh, no, but it, it feels oh. like good news. Yeah, it feels like good news. I I have had migraines, but I don't get them regularly. So, um, but the the thing with that is that it just it can have the amount of time that you spend having a migraine, and it says like it can last four to seventy two hours, and people have to miss work and like miss out on getting um, getting money essentially. So it can cost a lot of money to have a migraine like to get migraines regularly and if you can have the amount of time that you spend suffering from this then that would be a great benefit to people yeah it's probably just worth saying that the way they did the trial was to have a placebo they had half the group take the placebo uh, as in Mm. drug that doesn't work and then half the trial half the trial took the drug that did work the people who took the drug that did work uh, that halved their duration of migraines for about uh, for about half of the people who did it so it worked for about 50% of the people and the placebo didn't work in the same way Mm. Wow. That's great. You're listening to Love and Science on BCFM Radio. We still know him. John Ford. Probably wish you didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Always delighted to have you there. Thanks for for, uh, coming in. John's going to tell us in a little bit. uh, Well, he's going to tell us how to get home getting Bristol home but he's also going to tell us what we forgot but we've got a couple of stories we want to have a, a quick look at the first is a couple of science stories um, space junk oh yeah space junk tell us about how are we getting rid of space because there's tons of this stuff there is, out yeah. there isn't there anybody that's seen uh, gravity will know oh, exactly yes. what I'm talking about yeah there's, um, there's, there's so much that we put into space when we first started putting our stuff into space the uh, Mercury and the Apollo missions um, the the, 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 the junk didn't seem like an option. Space seemed really big. A bit like when we throw stuff into the oceans and we think that the oceans are really big and we wouldn't... Uh, it would it, never come back. It would never come back. And uh, just as we've found that actually there are huge piles of junk in the oceans, there are in, there is in space a huge amount of uh, space junk, all, mm. from all bits of old space rockets that go up there, old satellites. And there's this thing which is called... Oh, I've forgotten the name. The Kessel Syndrome. Okay. which is that if there could be a really disastrous thing if one piece of junk hits another one then it could because of they're all on a similar orbit or not all of them but there are a lot there are only a few different orbits that they that they operate on it could be a knock-on effect and it could actually wipe out all the communications that we've got Whoa. so it's important that we work out what to do with this and have we yes. worked out what to do? Well, there is a, a, a new spacecraft going up. Uh, it's been designed in Surrey. It's called M- Remove Debris. It's a brilliant little piece of technology. It's first going mm. up to the International Space uh, Station, mm. and uh, it's going to be d- deployed from there. But it, essentially, it has three things on it, I think. Uh, one, one is a, it has a, a tiny little satellite inside it. It's going to try out different ways of removing space junk and one of them is to uh, it's going to put, send out a little satellite from it and then try and scoop it in with a net uh, another one is a small harpoon to try and get mm. it and then there's a third thing which is <coughs> as the spacecraft is coming back down into our uh, atmosphere as parachute will open up and slow it down, which will ensure that it does burn up in our atmosphere, because that's quite a good way of getting rid of uh, space junk, is to make, lower its orbit sufficiently so that it burns up in our atmosphere. But you need to make sure it's not going too fast so that it doesn't either bounce off or indeed 
get through our atmosphere and mm. become something which hits us on the head. <laughs> which would be most unpleasant. Look, just very quickly, Yeti specimens, it turns out that uh, of the various Yeti specimens that there are in the world, uh, they've, they've managed to do some DNA profiling on them and found that amongst these specimens there are eight bears and a dog. Yeah, it's quite so, quite common for a bear <laughs> to be the result of a, a Yeti DNA test. There's, it's not the first time they've tested specimens of potential Yetis, but um, it's so. it's quite the most recent one. Mm. Yeah. It's a shame that I, I'd like there to be a Yeti. What about you, John? You'd, yeah, no, you can't, you can't say I mean, that it's not I, there. No, you can't. You can't, say, no, that's you can't right. prove that it Having, doesn't exist. Exactly that's the thing. right. Having not found it doesn't mean that it isn't. Exactly. Well, they did find it. It was in Star Trek, wasn't it? When yeah. Spock was in the cave. <laughs> ah, there we See go. Yeah. There we go. Now we're talking about language. <laughs> <laughs> Can I ask a question about this space junk? Yeah. Why hasn't Dyson come up with something? Because I mean, he's an inventor. He could go up and suck it away. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll bet he's working on it. As well. I bet he's working on it. It's not a bad idea. Imagine this huge we're, Dyson out there. We're going to hold Hedy Lamar martha next week because she'll keep she's uh, been dead for a long time yeah i'd so heard that actually yeah. she'll, she'll keep <laughs> so uh, <laughs> you know north korea right yeah they, they fired this rocket which went really high didn't it uh, higher than the space station itself so how do they know it didn't hit any space junk um, would they calculate that or is north korea not on a, a path they that, know that it wouldn't we, yeah. we can calculate it it's all do you think out. they would have done that? i doubt it but I don't know. I don't know how, you know, the people who are involved in these things, I don't know the workings yeah. of their minds mm. particularly. It was just yeah. a thought. Just a thought. But anyway, um, 1998, the Space Shuttle Endeavour uh, and a crew of six blasted off for the, the first mission to begin assembling the International Space Station on this day. Nice. Amazing. Nice? It all links in, doesn't it? Eh? Yeah. Uh, 1996, NASA's first Mars rover launched from Cape Canaveral on this day. Also on this day in 1973, Pioneer 10 reached, where do you think? Uh, planet Jupiter. in our solar system, Jupiter. It did indeed. Oh. And uh, way back in 1894, we are indebted to George Parker, who was issued a patent for what? Do you think? Coats. No, the clues in the name, George Parker. That's what I said. Coats. Coats. No, no, the uh, the fountain pen. Oh. Hail oh. all hail the fountain pen. Stay tuned for John Ford getting Bristol home after the news uh, from Andrew and Hannah and me. Have yourselves a very good evening. Don't forget to join us again next week.